Okay, so I was thinking about, you know, what we've covered so far and actually, you know, read through the rest of the chapter several times over the week. And I find it poignant that, um, that this chapter tells us as much about faith by those who are not mentioned in this chapter, right? as those who ha are mentioned in this chapter. So I can think of two right off the top of my head, notable Old Testament saints that are not mentioned in this chapter. Can you think of one? You don't see David mentioned in this chapter, and you don't see Solomon mentioned in this chapter, right? So those were, those were probably the two heaviest hitters in, in, uh, in the commonwealth of Israel after Moses, right? We all know that the prophets were, for the most part, despised, and the people paid them lip service, but the people absolutely had respect for David and Solomon. And so, you know, I thought about that. I said, why wouldn't David, uh, you know, throughout, you read throughout the Old Testament that God says that David is a man after his own heart. Why wouldn't David be mentioned in this Faith Hall of Fame here? And then furthermore, Solomon, Solomon with all his flaws, and he certainly had them, um, was elevated by God and was, um, was humble in his beginnings, right, at the very least. Well, I thought about it, and I think that really what's going on here is the author ultimately is God, is really trying to emphasize the humanity of the, of the people that are talked about here in, in Hebrews chapter 11, that they were flawed human beings. They had their struggles, they had their problems, they had their moments of doubt, right? And that is to distinguish the human component from the faith component right this faith so so they what God accomplished through them he accomplished through them in spite of their humanity and it was because of this faith this divine faith so thus far in the first 16 verses we've talked about Abel uh, we've talked about um, Enoch We've talked about Abraham. We've talked about Sarah. And I'm not going to go back through that. That's in the notes. It's in the videos if anyone wants to see it. But I want to move on, uh, you know, uh, again, just to, to cap off the discussion that we had two weeks ago about Abraham. You know, when you look at Abraham's life of faith, you read in the scripture that his faith was confirmed, right? It was, it was confirmed with what we read about in verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called. Verse 19, concluding that God was able to raise him even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. 
And so Abraham's faith at reaches its stage of confirmation here when he's tested more than I can imagine ever being tested in that he was being asked to do something by God that he knew was something that God was opposed to, which was human sacrifice. And so imagine the difficulty that he had trying to see his way through it. So, you know, and that's exasperated by the fact that Isaac was the son through whom the promised seed line was to travel, was through whom the promises of the, of the covenant that God made with him were to reach their fulfillment in the future. And so here he's asked to sacrifice his son. And, you know, he, he comes to the point where that faith that he had in God uh, kind of took him to the place where he said, you know what, uh, I, I don't understand this. I don't understand why God would ask me to do something that I know in his very nature he is opposed to. And on top of that, he's going to ask me to sacrifice the son through whom he has promised all of these promises would come to fulfillment. But I know that, that, uh, that he is able to raise my son from the dead. And so he moves forward with that. And so we see, we see the humanity, we see the humanity, we start to see as we move further into the chapter, the human element really being brought to the forefront. And so we move on. I want to move on tonight and talk about Isaac a little bit. So we read in verse 20, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. That's verse 20. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, uh, we'll, we'll stop there. Let's, let's stop with Isaac. So let's, let's look at Isaac a little bit. So if you'll take your notes... Uh, turn to page 3 for last week's notes. That's 17. Uh, no. Actually, move on to the next set of notes. 11 verse 20. Move on to the set of notes I gave you tonight to page 3. So reading verse 20 again. By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Now the name Isaac comes from the Hebrew root word meaning laughter, laughter or of happiness. We read in Genesis chapter 21 verses 5 to 7, Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, for I have borne him a son in his own age? So we read about uh, we read about that, and then in Genesis chapter 24, we read about Rebekah and Laban. Genesis 24:67 says, "Then Isaac brought her into her mother Sarah's tent. He took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death." So the life of um, um, the life of Isaac is, is unusual. You know, we talk about, in verse 20, it talks about him blessing Jacob and Esau. But 
But remember what it says. Do you remember what it says in Romans chapter 9 about Jacob and Esau? Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. So, so let's just turn there for a moment in Romans chapter 9. Because in this we see, if we, if we don't look close enough, we miss, you know, we miss the, the, the human component in Isaac and how God deals with that human component. So in Romans chapter 9, starting at verse 6, we read, But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they children, all children, because they are seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise, at this time I will come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah, so now we're down to, um, you know, Isaac and Rebekah. When Rebekah has also conceived, even by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not being yet born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. Now this is the part that I want you to focus on. It was said to her. Rebekah received by divine revelation what it says, the older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. So there's a very specific statement here in Romans chapter 9 that God's plan for these two boys was specifically revealed to her. Okay? So the question is, and I, I think it's really a non-question, do you think at some point during their marriage, Rebecca revealed this to her husband Isaac. Yes. yes. Okay, now turn to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis 25. I'm sorry, 27. Genesis 27. Now it came to pass, starting at verse 1, when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see, that he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered him, Here I am. Then he said, Behold now, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. So obviously he knows that the day of his death is approaching. Now therefore... Please take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. And make me savory food, such as I love, and bring it to me, that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. What is he talking about there? May bless you before I die. That's 
That's right, of the firstborn. So wait a minute. So God, by divine revelation, had told Rebecca that that wasn't the way it was going to go, but it was going to go the other way, that the older would serve the younger. Right? And so, and so according to the plan of God, Jacob was to become the patriarch of the family after the death of Isaac. But here's Isaac now. About He knows his, his death is coming. It's not far off, although he doesn't know how or when. He calls his son Esau and says, Make me a good dinner that I can eat and bless you, or that is, confer on you the blessing, and therefore make him the patriarch. So here you have clearly... Jacob, I mean Isaac, trying to outsmart God. So you see the humanity there, right? You see the humanity there. That Isaac is trying to do things his way instead of what God had revealed to Rebekah was the way he was going to have it. And then the rest of the story is, the rest of the story is, how shall we say, history. We know about the ruse with with uh, with Jacob. Now, here is where Abraham's um, Isaac's faith comes to the forefront, right? So there, in these verses, we see the frailty of his humanity. But once, once he finds out what had happened, that in fact he had conferred the blessing on Jacob, he didn't attempt to retract it. He saw this was God's doing, and I don't think he liked it, because obviously he seemed to favor Esau, right? But he went with it anyway. Okay. So, do you think that their marriage was odd? Yeah. Well, whose marriage is it? Yes. Right? You think that is this is this knowledge in Rebecca is why she favors Jacob? You know, while it, it if you read the story it says that Jacob was uh, he was a man of the tent, right? And some including myself in the past have interpreted that as he was like a girly man, right? But that's not it at all because later we see Jacob wrestling with the angel of the Lord, right? No girly man wrestles with the angel of the Lord, right? But really what it means was that he was, he was more introspective and he was more interested in learning about spiritual things. He was a person who was more given to spiritual things, whereas Esau was a man who was more given to carnal things, right? And so, uh, and so I think whether... I, I don't. I can't say for sure whether Rebecca favored Esau, uh, Jacob, but the fact remains is that she had received divine revelation that the order was going to be reversed there, right? And so I, I don't think by any stretch of the imagination you can conclude that she never disclosed that to her husband, knowing that her it was in her husband's power, he would have to be the one to execute that. Right, and so and so 
in all of that, Isaac, I don't know whether he figured it was a mistake or what, but he, with full intention now, tries to go against what Rebecca had told him the Lord had revealed to her and still confer the blessing of the firstborn on Esau. But it didn't work out that way. And when, he, when it didn't work out that way, when he realized what had happened, what did he say to Esau? What have I left to give you? He didn't try and pull it back. He recognized, he recognized that it was God's divine will, and in faith he accepted it. Right? Joe, you had a question? Sure. 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 That's possible. Um, it's sure. Of course, it's possible. But either way, you know, he's he. It's very. It's very. It's very clear that he wanted to confer the blessing of the firstborn on Esau. Yeah, no, I, I don't I don't agree with that. I think that I think of what's being emphasized in this chapter is the humanity of these individuals. Right? And then you go, you know, you move on to Jacob, right? And then you move on to Jacob. I mean, let's face it, Jacob is in here, but Jacob was the one who was practicing deceit, was he not? So I and that's the point that I've been trying to make. Maybe I haven't been doing a good job of making that point. But I think the emphasis in Hebrews chapter 11 is that the faith enables them to do great things in spite of their humanity. Yeah. In spite of their humanity. And that's where I think we can find hope. That in spite of our humanity, that faith still enables us and propels us to do the things that God has called us to do. Why? Because that faith is not our own. It's given to us by God. And so you see, and, and you know, we say that Isaac is a man of faith, right? But when a famine developed in the land, what did he do? Huh? He, left. he didn't go down to Egypt. I think he went north to Syria, into that region, right? But his wife, Rebecca, again, very beautiful. And so what happened there? Tell them you're my sister. Right? So you see, you see the, their humanity there and that they were sinners. And sometimes I think, I think we try and, uh, you know, we try and, and read into these figures that they were larger in life. And they ended up being larger in life, but not because of anything within them but because of the faith that was given to them, right? And so Isaac, when he figures it out, says, yeah, you know what, this is God's will, and uh, it must have devastated him because he obviously loved Esau. But he said, you know what, Esau, there's nothing I can do with it. This is something that God has brought about, okay? 
It's the same thing. It's just a different term. Sure. Confer, to confer the blessing means to pass on the birthright of the firstborn. That means that the firstborn son would receive a double portion of, of the father's inheritance. And he would, by default, become the next patriarch of the family. I think the blessing is the that's the the, the yes the yeah that's the transfer occurs there right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, Esau thought he was going <laughs> to renege on the deal. You know, he thought he was going to get his pot of stew, right? And still get everything. Still get the blessing conferred on him, and with the blessing came, you know, the birthright, right? So, so, but it doesn't work out that way. So. Now you see the di you'll see also the difference between Isaac and Esau in their response. Isaac accepted it, sought as the will of God. What did Esau do? Started drawing a tantrum, and was going to wait for his father to die, and then do what? Kill Jacob, right? So Jacob, so Jacob, so Rebecca sends Jacob on the run, right? Okay. So now. Um, let's move forward a little bit. So there's humanity there, right? You, 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 you see humanity there. I think that's the emphasis here is, again, they were humans. They were no different than we are. No different. They were humans. They had sin natures. They had their insecurities. They had their doubts. And, and they were able to do great things or let's, let me put it this way. God was able to do great things through them in spite of their humanity. And so it is with us, right? So we face those kinds of things. Okay, now let's move on to um, verse 21. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on top of his staff. Okay, so now turn to Genesis chapter 48. And let's look at this for a moment and see what peculiar thing happens here. Genesis 48. In Genesis chapter 48, verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that Joseph was told, Indeed, your father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Jacob was told, Look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel strengthened himself and sat up on the bed. 
Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make you a multitude of people and give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. Now, look at what I'm going to just read this verse and let me see. I'm going to ask you to see if you can tell me what just happened in in uh, verse five. And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine as Reuben and Simeon. They shall be mine. So what did he just do there? He adopted them. He adopted Joseph's two sons. And they will make up the allotment of the tribe. That's why they call the half-tribe of Manasseh. Right? But let's read on. Let's see how this works out. Your offspring. So why did he? Let's talk about this. Why did he? Why do you think he adopted them? Why couldn't, why do, why do you think that um, Jacob could not, do you think there's any reason why Jacob could not give his portion to Joseph? There's any reason behind it? Okay. What about who was Joseph married to? He was. A priest's daughter. Okay? He was married to a priest's daughter. But there's still, we don't see much yet about Well, I don't know. I mean, that's the only thing that I can figure out is that he was married not only to a priest's daughter, but a high priest's daughter. Right? And so there's also, you know, Again, there's some who like to, you know, romanticize everything. We read about Joseph's cup of divination, right? And some say, well, no, it was just a drinking cup. Well, it was pretty clear that it was a cup of divination. So Joseph was to some degree influenced and involved in that, in, in that pagan system. I can't think of any other reason, but Jacob, also, Jacob makes the decision that he's going to adopt Ephraim and Manasseh. So in adopting them, now he is able to pass on the blessing to them, to include them into the blessing with the 10 other sons. Okay. All right, let's read on because it's still, there's still something coming here. Okay. Starting at verse 6. Your offspring, whom you begot after them, shall be yours. They will be called by the name of their brothers in, the, in their inheritance. But as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was but a little distance to go to Ephr Ephrathah. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrathah, that is Bethlehem. Then Israel saw Joseph's son and said, Who are these? Then Joseph said to his father, They are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And he said, Bring them to me, and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel 
uh, were dim with age, so that he could not see. Now, now you notice here, <laughs> notice something else that just happened here. Now it just switched from Jacob to Israel. You notice that? And what you'll find pretty consistently is that every time Jacob is acting in accordance with Jacob's will, he's called Jacob. But every time Jacob is acting in accordance with God's will, he's called Israel. Okay? Okay. Verse um, 10 again. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face, but in fact God has also shown me your offspring. So Joseph brought them from beside his knees, and he bowed down with his face to the earth. Then Joseph took them both, Ephraim, Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near. Okay, does, does anyone remember who the eldest son was to Joseph? Was it Ephraim or Manasseh? It was Manasseh. Okay, so Joseph is thinking the blessing is going to be conferred on Manasseh. Okay, verse 14. Then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. Yep, he crossed his hands. And he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, let my name be named upon them in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac. And let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Now here's Joseph's response. Now when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. So he took hold of his father's hands to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall be a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will bless, saying, May God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And thus he set Ephraim before Manasseh. So, obviously, Isaac, at some point, received the revelation and the knowledge that it was to pass through Ephraim. And see, so he obeys in faith. Okay, so now we're back in Hebrews chapter 9. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. Okay, it was that divine faith. It was that divine faith that resulted in the... So think about it. It requires an act of faith because it was custom that the firstborn son would always be the one to receive 
the blessing and therefore become the next patriarch of the family. But in these two cases, in the case of Isaac, God had revealed to them that it was going to be the younger who would become the next patriarch of the family. And the same thing holds true with Jacob, with Joseph's two sons. He adopts them as his own and he confers the firstborn blessing on Ephraim. Now, think about this. In, in, the, in the line of Jacob's children, where chronologically does Joseph fall? He falls in number 11. Who is the firstborn? Reuben. So think about, think about the kind of domestic interfamily problems that that must have caused. So wait a minute. I'm the firstborn son, and there are 10 before him, and not only are you not conferring the blessing on him, on me, but you're not con conferring it on him. You're conferring it on his two sons. You're adopting them just so you can confer the blessing on one of them. And even there, you're not conferring it on the older, but the younger. See, it's hard for us to relate to this, right? Because it's not part of our reality. We're kind of reading words on the page. But you have to think about all of the stuff that must have been going on up around that. that. Yeah. And then that came came about. Yeah. Where the entire family is bowing down to him. Yeah. So and and at, by the time um, Israel died, the other brothers are like, Hey, Dad said don't kill us. Right? <laughs> yeah. So so there's a certain I, it just seems to me that there has to have been by that point a certain amount of okay, this is God's doing. Yeah, okay, this is God's doing, but how many times in your life have you come up to the point where, okay, this is God's doing, but I don't like, but it. I don't like it. But I don't like it, right? And, and what, well, wait a minute, think about it for a moment. What happens in your life as a believer, or what are the two potentialities that happens in your life as a believer when you come up to something that, well, you wanted to go a different way, but it didn't end up going that way. And so you say, well, I guess this is the way God wanted it, but I don't like it. At that point, there are two, one of two possible directions that you can go in, right? Obedience or disobedience, right? And so what makes the difference there is faith, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So my question is, wasn't the mother, like, the mother was already dead? Yes. So how do you make that, you know what I mean? It's just a side note. That's a good point. I'd always wonder. That's a good point, you know? But I think maybe that was more that he would rise in a higher position, you know, not only as, 
you know, the second ruler in Egypt, but in standing in the kingdom program, so to speak. Yeah, so, so this is, you know, when we read over this, we don't often think about real life in the midst of all of this, right? So there's real life, and I think the author of Hebrews is trying to get that point across to us. Again, that there were real things going on around here. Sure, it's easy for us to be, you know, well, it's God's will, let's just accept. They, they, it was just God's will, and so they just accepted it. It doesn't work like that, does it? It didn't work like that with Job. It didn't work like that with Job. I think God respected the fact that, you know what, I don't like this. What have I done wrong? You know what? And so at the end of it, he, God doesn't answer him. He never gives him an answer to his question. Right? But he didn't rebuke Job for being honest. As a matter of fact, he, he, he was very displeased with Job's three friends friends because they were accusing him of wrongdoing that all those things had come upon them because he was an unrighteous and wicked man which was not the case at all so job's question was legitimate what have i done that you're you know you have afflicted me in this way so how does god answer him god doesn't answer the question well this is what you've done or you haven't done anything he points out to him his his power of creation and that if he can guide all of those things to a good and appointed end then Job has to just accept the fact that God is doing the same thing with his individual life yeah but that's right and I yeah and I think it's disingenuous for us to say well, it's God's will, you know? Sure, it is God's will, and we accept it, but that doesn't mean that we like it. And that doesn't mean that it's pleasant. And that doesn't mean that in the moment, it's something you, you enjoy, right? So you know where it says in, in, uh, in the book of James, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, right? It doesn't mean that you go through a trial. Oh, I'm in a trial. I'm having a great day. Your joy is found in the fact that, that you know that in that trial, God is going to bring something to the surface that needs to be brought to the surface. That's where your joy is to be found, is that God is actively involved in your life, bringing something to the surface or preparing you for something, right? And then it says, if any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. For what wisdom? The wisdom to understand or the wisdom to find joy in that trial, right? Because it's promised, there's a, there's a promise there that if that prayer for wisdom is asked in faith, God will answer it 100% of the time. No, it's like, you know what, God? This sucks. I hate it. And I know that I'm supposed to find joy in this, but I'm having a hard time. Lord, please give me the wisdom to find joy in this. To find the joy in this. Right? That's the prayer that God promises to answer. That's the wisdom that God promises to give. Right? Okay. Okay.
All right. By faith, Jacob, verse 21, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped leaning on the staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instruction concerning his bones. I'm going to read on by faith because there's now when we get into Moses again, you know, we know the story, but we have to try and imagine the human component in all of this. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Okay. So Moses, now Egypt at this time was the most powerful kingdom in the world. And Moses was right at the top of that pyramid structure. So imagine the riches. You know, I, I don't know if anyone here has ever seen um, any of the treasures that have been unearthed with uh, when they discovered Tutankhamun's tomb. You know, just unbelievable wealth, unbelievable riches to walk away from all of that, right? Imagine the struggle. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Again, this is personal stuff, but so in, in, uh, in 2003, we, my wife and I went down to Texas. You know, we went to Teen Mania down there, acquire the fire. And, um, and we both believe that God spoke to us then. It's like, you know what? can't carry the ministry forward, continuing to work full-time as a crew chief for the commercial airline that I was working for. Can't do it. So on the way back, my wife and I talked about it. Now mind you, I was walking away from a plus 21-year career, right? Seven weeks vacation. <laughs> you know, I was there, right? And, um, you know, I mentioned it two weeks ago. And we decided that I needed to come away from full-time aviation employment and just give it a go in the ministry, right? Let me tell you something. You want to know how many sweat-filled, sleepless nights I had over that? Where I just, I, I was just racked with, with, with anxiety and uncertainty and sweating. I couldn't sleep. I was sweating. And because I was walking away, I had worked so hard all of my life to get to that point of financial stability. That's the point that I'm trying to make here is financial stability. Walking away from that financial stability into the unknown. Now, that was difficult for me. It really was difficult for me. And you know, that took, that ended up taking me and my whole family down a road which we needed to go down, right? It was not pleasant, but we needed to go down that road and we've, we all emerged stronger and better through that, having learned some things about ourselves through all of that. Now imagine what it was like for Moses to walk away from all of these things into the great unknown. Okay, let me just, got a, another five minutes here. 
By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. See? Moses took his eyes off of the treasures of this world and put his eyes squarely on the treasures of eternity that awaited him. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. And so in verse 29 now, this faith is also spoken about in regards to those who crossed with him, because he didn't cross by himself. One or two million people crossed with him. So all of those things. So, so Moses, Moses was a man just like any other man. And we would see that later on in the Exodus, right? We would see, you know, he'd make his mistakes. He'd make his blunders. He'd get frustrated with himself. He'd get frustrated with the people. Kill me. I can't take this people anymore. You know, but he was human. But in spite of his humanity, God was able to work great things through him because of the faith that God had imparted to him. That's the whole point here. I mean, and it even gets more sorted as we go on and finish off, the, we'll finish off this chapter next week. When you get to Samson, now let's talk about Samson for a moment. Samson was what? He was a judge, but he was, he was his parents were told that he was to be what? A Nazarite from birth, right? Okay. So, what were the what were the the three things that a Nazarite could not do? I'll give you one, and Okay. You go and read in the book of Judges. Samson not only engages but throws a drinking party. There's one of the Nazarite vows rejected. Another one? Huh? To not cut his hair. What happens with Delilah? There goes the other part of the Nazarite vow. There's one more. No? Not touch a dead body. Where did he get the honey that he ate that sustained him? Out of a dead lion. And yet, and yet, He's in here. You get it? It's in spite of him. That's the point. And then we, we'll talk about Jephthah, right? Jephthah was, was a judge, wasn't he? Yeah. He, he was a judge who said, God said, Jephthah, I want you to go out and do this. Jephthah says, Lord, God, if you will give me the victory on my return, I will sacrifice the first thing that crosses the threshold of my house. So he goes out and he defeats the enemy. He comes back and what walks, what is the first thing that walks out of his house? His daughter. And there's no reason to believe that he didn't carry through on that because he made a vow. Yeah, the vow was very focused. Yeah. And yet, he's in, he's in here. You get it? That's the point of Hebrews chapter 11. 
it's in spite of humanity that they were able to do these things because of the faith that God had imparted to them. And here's the thing, guys. That's the same faith that's in you. It's the same faith that's in me. No? We have that same faith. And so whatever it is that we're facing in life, and you know you're, everyone goes through trials. And here's the thing that I've discovered now being 65 years old. The longer you walk with Christ, the deeper the trials become. They don't get easier as you go along. They get harder. And honestly, you know, I've prayed that prayer. Lord, I don't understand. Give me the wisdom to find joy in this, to find the joy in all of this. And you know what? He answered the prayer. He answered the prayer. You know? All right, we're going to stop there. If you have any questions, we'll finish off this chapter next week. But that's, you know, you can go ahead and read the notes. There's a lot more stuff in the notes by way of, you know, um, different analogies that I try and bring in. Um, but I want to just kind of get, get to the material and move through it. And whatever it is that you face in life, whatever it is that I face in life, you know, it's, 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 it's God marching us. I, there's a twofold purpose, I think. One, I think, Doug, you mentioned it in our conversation last Sunday. It kind of breaks your attachment to this life. And you begin to long for home, right? That, that's definitely part of it. Um, but I also think that there's a prep it's preparing us for eternity, right? So I said to Doug and I were having a conversation before class, and it's like, you know, I said to Doug, I, I don't, I still really make it a point to study two hours a day, every day. You know, like right now I'm going through the Gospel of Matthew again. I'm 17 chapters into it. And I'm, I said, Doug, well, I, I don't, sometimes I think and say, well, what's the point? I'm not a pastor anymore. You know, why am I doing this? And I was thinking that question, and then I heard it somewhere, and then thinking about it, I said, you know what? I said, everything that I learn now I take with me into eternity. Because who's to say that when you step into eternity, you're automatically brain zapped with all spiritual knowledge? No, you take it with you. For better or worse, you take it with you. 